0: oh, if we just keep creating and if we just sort of keep refining, it's just going to happen. You
1: mean that a magical person is going to come out of the sky right. and this say, you are talented. You are talented. <laughs> oh, my yeah. gosh. Can yeah. I give you all of my money? <laughs> yeah.
0: is episode 5 of Artists of Camberville. I am here with my guest, uh, Bethany Noel-Murray. Bethany, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So, uh, Bethany is an amazing artist that I met during Somerville Open Studios. She has a couple of shows coming up, a group show at the Kingston Gallery, and then a solo show this fall at the VSA Open Door Gallery, which is called Brains Are Cool Even When They Hurt. You can find more information about these shows at her website. BethanyNoelleArt.com and at Instagram at BethanyNoelleArt. And all links to her stuff can also be found on my website, DanielleHMonroe.com. Bethany, again, thank you so much for being here. Thanks so
1: much for having me, yeah. All
0: right, so tell, a little, tell the people, tell the folks, um, a little bit about yourself and the kind of art that you create.
1: I am a nerd and I paint. And I have uh, been that way my whole life in different iterations. Um, I, make, <laughs> I make art about, I guess I like to say it's uh, migraines in nature um, or um, Alice in Wonderland meets Narnia, <laughs> some combination of those. But basically, um, I've been painting f- for most of my life. And initially, when I was younger, painting was supposed to make my med school application look well-rounded. Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, but so even in high school I was doing biomedical engineering programs at BU and then the next summer doing their painting program and that's been my life. Um, So I originally went to uh, Reed College and studied uh, biochemistry but I actually was able to leave the med school path when uh, RISD gave me a scholarship to go study painting. So that was sort of like some divine intervention saying, yes, you have permission to do things you love. So my work now has been influenced by um, uh, by my own personal experience, which um, I used to think was unnecessary to creating art. And now I realize is kind of why you create yeah. art. <laughs>
0: the whole, the kind of yeah, the point of it all. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was like, feelings don't matter in art. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, Yeah. spoken like a true technical person. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We talked about this a little bit, how, um, you know, because Somerville and Cambridge, they have a real funky art side, but most of the people are very technical. There's a lot of engineers. There's, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of biochemical people. And um, can you talk a little bit about how you feel like you can kind of communicate both sides?
1: So I received a lot of shock when I went from biochem to painting and in my experience i was playing with um in some ways more dangerous chemicals than when i was in a chem lab and with no fume hood and also i had a six-hour studio versus a five-hour lab other than that and i was geeking out about something basically nobody else cared about which is very similar in both (laughs) okay (laughs) industries yeah so so that was you know that sort of actual transition wasn't didn't seem weird to me but the other part of it is um to create good art or you have to convince the viewer to get feelings basically or that's sort of my my theory right like um all of, everything i'm trying to do is trying to manipulate my audience into having some feels and that can be an authentic manipulation. That word was blasted into my head in art school, but the idea is that I am trying to get people to actually look and to experience and to feel. And there's a lot of different techniques that are um, explicit and implicit in the way a painting is created: composition, color, color theory, texture, you know, size, scale. All of it is how we can capture, you know. Our attention. I had I had one teacher who once told me that you're a good artist if someone looks at your piece for more than 30 seconds. And to do that, you sometimes have to use, you know, shiny object techniques to get people mm-hmm. to engage. And part of that is is a skill, and you can break it down. Um, you know, if you read left to right, you're going to start your painting in a certain area, and then you're going to bring them down and up and across and loop them in again.
0: Yeah.
1: And you can use the properties of paint and pigment and, you know, the opacity and transparency of those pigments to create different reactions at different at different lengths away from the canvas. And to do all of that, I can explain exactly what a different piece is doing and why you're getting a certain emotional reaction if someone doesn't actually want to talk about feelings whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But those are all just tools to get me to get you to have some goosebumps.
0: Yeah. I, I love talking about this because I feel like when we talk about art, we don't really talk about the sort of tricks and techniques. And I remember, um, I had this amazing professor at an MFA, Pam Painter. Mm -hmm. She's a great artist. She's a great writer. Check out her stuff. I don't know. Um, but I remember I I took three of her classes and she was also my, my mentor. And she was like, here are some tricks. We're going to practice like breaking down, like, look at what this writer is doing specifically here, and now I want you to do that trick. Like, she really was like, here are tricks that other writers are using. And at the time, I, like, resisted it for a hot second, because I was like, no, I'm a writer. It's all about my ideas and my emotions. But then I was like, uh-huh. oh, no. Like, I know. I had this like, one moment of just being really idealistic. But Then I was like, yes, she's actually, I, I can actually figure out the how these other writers are sort of manipulating and that was the first time i'd heard it i yeah. did five or four years of undergrad as a writer i did three years in my mfa and she was really the first person to sort of break it down and I'm like we should be talking about this stuff it's so important
1: yeah 100 percent. i mean think about this if you are applying for a job there is the dreaded cover letter but there are techniques there are whole industries designed to teaching people how to write that so you can get the attention of someone if you don't have an inside referral network at yeah. that company, right? And why, you know, a cover letter is much less um, uh, soul satisfying than some good art is, whether, whether, whether that medium is, you know, written or visual or, you know, music. But at the same time, the goal is in some ways the same. Mm-hmm. I want to get your attention. I want to get my,
0: I want to get my message out there. I want to get, you know, still evoke a feeling, still do exactly what I I want to do and say, but there's, I can package it. I can sort of massage it in a way that's going to really hit you.
1: So, yeah. And, and one of the things like when I, a lot of the work I, I make, um, my decisions are pretty deliberate. For example, much of my work is in this square format. It's a 48 by 48 inches. I work with um, black gesso um, and uh, frequently, although I also work without it. And one of the things I like to do is have the painting um, have different resolution points and different get the attention from someone far away with something fairly representational and then have that fragment upon closer inspection. Mm. So a lot of times, especially people, you know, there is art frequently has this um, holier than thou, you must have a master's degree to really understand it. Oh, you don't know this thing, so, you know, You shouldn't, you you don't get it. And the number of people who have come to me in my studio or in other places or when I take them to a museum and say, oh, I don't know anything about art. It's like, well, I can't sing, right? But I can still like music. Yeah. So my thing is people want to find something representation, representational, or they want to find something um, humanoid, or if they can't do that, the number of times that someone is trying to find an animal in an abstract piece I've done, is overwhelming <laughs> but that's totally fine yeah right yeah. the idea is like your brain is trying to figure that out and therefore i've caught you mm-hmm. right and then you can you've been caught you're actually looking and then i can get you to have some more to get to the next level mm-hmm. right like i'm not a writer but from i've read a ton of books and that first couple of pages is really important. you want someone to be able to finish that book or at least get through the first chapter, right? So sometimes it is about capturing someone in that initial thing before you can get to them sort of that that emotional high or realization or whatnot. Mm
0: -hmm. So you you mentioned this a little bit before. Uh, You suffer from chronic migraines, and that sort of experience influences a great deal of your
1: art. Yeah, so um, I unfortunately suffer from something called chronic migraine, which mi- which is related to migraine, but the exact opposite of any Excedrin commercial you've ever seen. <laughs> so um, those make me so mad because they just say, hey, you know, we know you're dying, but here's some caffeine and acetaminophen. So, so what happens for me is I basically have what's called, um, um, I have a scale and my symptoms are measured sort of on that scale, and then I can have a major attack within it. So basically I basically have a headache every day. I have ocular aura and other symptoms most days. And then my good days, I'm roughly around a 3 or 4 on my pain scale. But they so you speak. have the the auras, the visual auras every day? Pretty much, yeah. Okay. And I've had that for most of my life. Okay. And the idea is that an ocular aura is something like um, people with migraine, roughly about 25% of them get it. Mm-hmm. Um, there are many different iterations of what it is, but the best way to describe it is look at my art. (laughs) No. Um, (laughs) but you can also, if you get out of bed really fast and the blood rushes from your head and you get stars and lights and colors, it's something like that. Um, sometimes it's, um, in one part of my eye, sometimes it's across both. Sometimes it's superimposed in my vision and I can see through it. Sometimes it more acts like heat haze that perspective or information is sort of lost. Or it could be, I don't have any problem with my eye at all, but for whatever reason, I can't read.
0: Mm-hmm. Like, okay. yeah.
1: yeah. Um, and then it can get pretty, and most of the time that stuff is just really, really, it's it's in some ways really beautiful, right? Like, it's like walking around with a bunch of pixie dust being thrown in the air. And you get that, it also can be really annoying um, when I lose part of my vision for weeks. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, (laughs) yeah, goes without saying. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that that's not good. But the whole part of it is just like, I have been making these paintings as part of. um, I started making them because after a major attack happens, which can sometimes last weeks, and then there's a migraine hangover, which is your body just recovering from being beat up, beaten Mm -hmm. up. I would make Mm -hmm. the paintings to prove to myself that, you know. That really happened and it was awful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was awful. And also th- this sounds this sounds dark, but like in a really bad attack, I lose all of my senses. And that's a surefire way to go crazy. And yeah. you start to despair and you're like, No, there actually has to be a tumor in my brain. This cannot be real. All the doctors are wrong. Mm-hmm. But I think part of the disease is that it wants me to despair. So I paint to say Screw you, migraine. You know, there yeah. is joy and goodness and beauty in the world. And even the things that are torturing me, there is something that can be salvaged. And um, I also can represent them in a way that most of my doctors haven't been able to see before, which is helpful there. Mm-hmm. And also, like, you know, I'm taking control of it. So it stopped me from gaslighting myself by painting them mm-hmm. and the Reaction I've gotten from other people when they see it is that sort of connection of like, oh, I've been through something like that.
0: I mean, I suffer migraines. It's not chronic migraines, but definitely I feel them coming mm-hmm. in the morning usually. And there's it's maybe like once or twice a month that I have to call my husband and be like, you need to be home in an hour because I'm going to be unconscious. Yeah, like yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely not the same, but I definitely I also get the visual, the ocular oh, auras yeah. and there'll be there's been several times where i'm like i'm having this migraine and i'm just in a cool dark room just kind of waiting for it to pass and i have thought gosh if this wasn't so painful this would be really beautiful yeah. cuz it's sort of like a different plane of consciousness yeah. yeah it's you're not it's not like sleeping it's not anything that's, but it is sort of this different where i'm kind of like not in touch with what's going on but i kind of am it just feels like it just feels like I'm kind of in a cloud above it a little bit,
1: you know? Yeah, it's funny because most of the language I have used to describe my migraines are language my... Uh, Friends very heavily involved in drugs in Oregon have used to describe their experiences. Uh, okay. So in fact, there's. A oh, so
0: you get all of the that, but you don't get any of the no, like, no. Pleasure. I'm like fun. yeah. You just get all yeah, the I remember
1: when I was in college, someone was like, "Man, I wish I could smoke your brain." Right. <laughs> no, I, and I, I literally name my my mig- my migraine paintings after different drugs they put me on. So, so, but the other thing is like some of the experiences of the migraine. The, the clinical terms I'm blanking on for a second but it's called Alice in Wonderland effects when mm. the you are too big for the world or too small for the world yeah. or perspective collapses and that is a cl- classic acid trip um, effect and it's also a classic neurological you know you know need to reboot yeah so oh, that's so interesting because I get that too but I didn't yeah, think there was any association it's called um, uh, Macroscopia and microscopia, I okay. believe. You can double check on that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, learning so much about myself. <laughs> so I wanted to capture that part. Partially because like yeah, the pain stinks.
0: <laughs> Understatement of the I year. don't know
1: if I can swear <laughs> on here. The pain is awful. But the other thing is though, like if I hadn't had the migraines. I wouldn't have chosen to paint. I would have probably gone to med school. I would have probably done a whole bunch of different things that was not about what I get to do in my life. The actual having something sort of makes you realize, what do I actually wanna do when I come back alive? Mm -hmm. Right? Like after attack wanes, it's like, yay, the world is beautiful. (laughs) You know, all this stuff is amazing and you know, and when I'm painting, I sort of want to... The, the selfish part of me wants my audience to be able to take a little bit of what I get to create in the sort of magical world I get to see and say, oh, instead of brown and gray and overcast and, you know, depressing and some guy sucking his thumb on the bus, like, there is, like... there's There is some beauty out here, and I can find it. Mm-hmm. When I was in college, I... My entire life, it was doctor, lawyer, engineer, (laughs) and you have to put yourself through school. Mm -hmm. You know, it was very much, um, you know, I was Hermione Granger in like, I literally had two extra courses in high school that literally couldn't even fit into, into the school. And I didn't quit, skip class until I was in college. And I skipped it to go work on a gigantic mural that I fought for a year to get funding to be able to do. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I didn't know what it was like to work on something I enjoyed for a very, very long time. And that difference was noticeable. I have this line that's always in my head, which is in Lord of the Rings, um, Samwise Ganges says to Frodo Baggins, you know, there's goodness in this world, Mr. Frodo, and it's worth fighting for. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's... Are you of- sure you're a nerd? <laughs> <laughs> You've already made a Harry Potter <laughs> reference. There you yeah. go. On. <laughs> The ocular aura I have all the time, there are some very, very common auras I get, but the environment that I see these things in, it's sort of my choice to say, do I want to paint the really painful one or do I want to paint, paint the one where it helps me see that there is something out there that's that's glorious and mm-hmm. that I kind of have a key to be able to see instead of it being boring. And
0: you I know you sell a lot of your work. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you sort of live off of your, your art?
1: Um not yet. That is sort of the goal within the next um, year or two, and that's what I'm working up to. Yeah. So I'm at this small business problem of I have enough demand that I need to scale, but at what point do you flip that switch, right? Like, yeah. Like, do you hire someone or do you quit full-time work? I work currently at Harvard University, and... Um, you know, I don't think Harvard knows how much they actually support the arts. <laughs> uh, but yeah. my boss is fairly aware that, like, that's why that's why that's why I chose to come there. That they were they were very understanding that like, I didn't want to run a team of fifteen people anymore. I have two, yeah, yeah two people. So it's a, it's just a different thing. I've tried work in the arts industry. I've tried work that was more creative, um, but actually my job is in the IT sector. <laughs> And part of that, I find I have to conserve some of that other language that I have in my brain. And if I spend it all on something that pays for my health insurance and, you know, some of the other considerations, then I don't have anything for my actual canvas and I once had this job where I was a manager of a small um, paint shop. We sort of like a competitor to paint night. Mm-hmm. And it was fewer hours. It was really flexible. It was full time. I got, oh, it was still counted as full time and I mm-hmm. got health insurance and I painted less then than I paint now. Yeah. And I find that it was because I had to paint all day and mm-hmm. my previous thing, but so not, you're not sort yeah. of
0: building up. I I think that's so important, just to sort of build. That that's like that's what I'm I'm always telling younger writers, and like, if you're gonna be a writer, you have to have something to say. Yeah,
1: definitely. You
0: you can't just sit down and be like, you know, oh, here's this. I don't know. Here's this character who like doesn't know what he or she wants. I'm so sick of those stories, and I have to imagine that it's very similar. (laughs) Like you know, with painting, like you have to have something to paint. You have to have something
1: to say. Yeah. I, You know, that's the, 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 you know, pain into art, you know, the rock yeah. start way. No, well, I mean, seriously, like, I remember, for myself, the only reason I went to art school was they were paying my tuition. Mm-hmm. And that was the only way I could have gone to school, Yeah, right? Um, and I knew that my entire life is, you need to go to school, so you need to work hard enough to get a scholarship, and that's it. And that's fine, but it also meant that Um, I did a tremendous amount of research before I decided to transfer. I did a tremendous amount of research while I was in school about what the career options were. Do you do commissions? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so commissions, um, if anyone wants me to do a portrait or paint their family or their dog absolutely holler at me (laughs) but the standard commission I get um there's two right so one is um one is I love your work you've sold half these in your series you sold the two that I had my eye on can you make another painting in the series Mm -hmm. I have control I have autonomy I work out a contract with them so maybe there's a certain size that they need right My work might be standardly 48 by 48, but maybe they have a mantelpiece and they want something 30 by 40, Yeah. right, within my series. Well, I will work with them on that. And then the other one, and this is a longer process, I will get a request for something like this. I love your work. I love your style. I love how you think. Here is how I'm feeling. Make me a painting. So
0: that's cool. That's really cool. Yeah, that's a cool, like, yeah, I like
1: that. And that that's like, you know, that, that gives my, yeah, that that makes my belly jump in joy and gives me butterflies. <laughs> I have to say, okay, you know, you say, I love the way it feels when I'm on the beach in the morning and I'm alone and it's a little chilly. And I like that feeling on my skin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay. How would I paint that? Yeah. Right. Well, I want to paint that. <laughs> it just takes a while. So uh, you, you
0: mentioned you have a couple shows coming up that mm-hmm. we mentioned before. Um, how do you book those shows?
1: <laughs> so a um, couple shows, um, the simple one, I am in the Kingston Galleries uh, group show for refiguring the body. And it was a simple call for art. Um, they were requesting people they put the posting up about that group show what they're looking for I had work that I thought um, uh, fit it really really well I'd, and they drawings of what bodies would look like if they the anatomy and guts and interns innards changed based on how you were feeling or what mm-hmm. you are experiencing. Well, that's cool and idea. this idea of like fragmentation that sometimes I forget that I have an ankle or an elbow or something like that. So that's a sort of standard thing. I had work that met the call, right? And I submitted it and got approved. Mm-hmm. And then for the, um, the, uh, solo show, um, in the fall, um, that was another call. Um, the, um, but actually one of, my um, fans, patrons, supporters, yeah, <laughs> actually emailed me the call and was saying, hey, I saw this. I thought I love your work and I thought, um, thought it would be perfect for you. Mm-hmm. And they thought so too. So last year I had probably about seven shows and that was <laughs> way too much. But part of what it was is I was asking for help. So I had things as, as simple as like my old job. I knew Rafi Salon hosted my work you know, um, they showed my work. I put my work up there for, um, a couple of months. Mm -hmm. I actually got clients and other shows from that. So it was a sort of symbiotic relationship with a, you know, a business. Evie Salon does that too. Evie Salon in Davis. Oh
0: yeah. Yeah. Oh, they're great. Yeah. Yeah, They do that too. They do it every month. They have a different artist.
1: And I met people by asking for help. So I email people and I say, you know, I, I email people in my professional and personal life and or a cool artist or cool things that I've seen, and I've just started just saying, hey, I want to do things. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm hitting up interior designers right now. I'm hitting up galleries. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm, at, I'm, I'm kind of at that point with my this other project that I'm doing because I'm doing events and stuff, and I'm thinking, like, I cannot... Like, I'm doing Artbeat, right? Mm-hmm. So I have this whole idea, like, for a booth. I'm going to be promoting this podcast, and I'm also going to be doing the the other project as well. And it kind of was like, I don't think I can do that for six to eight hours by myself. I think I need somebody else there, because my husband will be with the kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I just, I don't know. I In theory, and I know logically, like, I should reach out to... Um, you know, friends and see if people can, like, come for a couple of hours and just sort of figure it out. And I, I don't know, there's just something that I haven't been able to sort of push that button, which is strange for me, because I'm all about asking for help and all about, but I think, you know, if there's something in theory, and then there's something in practice, and I'm really surprised at my own sort of hesitation, and I'm realizing that I just need to get over it, I just need to do it.
1: It's, um, I, I completely, I, I know how that feels. And I think it's one of those things, like, I remember I used to feel really nervous about people coming into my studio. And I was like, that's silly. It's completely silly.
0: Yeah.
1: And the fear is I'm sharing my emotional work and my labor. And it's a very different thing of, you know, I used to say art school was putting my chemistry problem sets in the wall and then having other people critique my chemistry problem set. And I didn't understand what language they were speaking. <laughs> so. And But that is something, right? You are putting something you care about. It's not something you can, you know, if I, for example, if I turned down this interview, mm-hmm. you'd be like, well, I don't know, Bethany, you know, that's fine. But if a friend turns you down from helping, then I think that might feel a little bit more personal.
0: Yeah, I, I think you're right. Yeah. yeah, I think it's, it's like, it's fine because I know people, like, have stuff to do. But I, I think it's if, if I do this call, like, if I ask a bunch of friends and nobody is either able or wants to help like that feels rejection that that is a that's a punch
1: yeah it feels like rejection yeah but the thing is though most of my help actually comes from my family and friends are wonderful right but a lot of my help and a lot of there's other people that want to help and want to reach out and I think you would be surprised I hope so. How often it happens.
0: Yeah, I hope so. I think, and, and, you know, this was, um, this just whole idea and this whole project. So for five years, I put the things that I really loved and cared about on hold. And what has happened is now I have two children. Um, A lot of my, I still have a lot of close friends, uh, but I also have all these new friends, right? And they've never known me as a writer. They've never met me. And so sort of in this capacity because I've been sort of putting everything on hold for five years. And so I started these these projects and it really was like everyone's been incredibly supportive. And I think it brings out it's brought out a lot of people that I sort of knew in my life who are now all of a sudden really passionate about it. And I realized that they they're also they're very similar to me that they're not just this this. They're not, not just this father, they're not just this person, you know, going to work, that they really also want to do these creative things that they've also had to put on yeah. hold that we just haven't had an opportunity to sort of discuss them and sort of bond over it.
1: And you know, what I mean, what you're talking is about, in my opinion, is about why we do art to be vulnerable, to sort of break through that initial, can I get your attention for thirty seconds? Yeah. Right? Like and and you mean, it's not to be famous. And <laughs> to be famous? <laughs> oh, that's why I'm doing it. <laughs> oh, okay, good. 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 Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, really? No. <laughs> so, no, I'm, I mean, like, that's part of it, right? Like, good art is going to get the feels and the feels yeah. only happen if you have some sort of vulnerability that will get someone to be able to connect to that. Yeah. And that that vulnerability is gen- is created by Someone has to initial. It's like it's like two people in a fight. You can't just wait for the other person to apologize, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. Otherwise, it's a permanent detente. Yeah, <laughs>
0: you can be really lonely <laughs> yeah. if, if that's the way yeah. you're fighting. you be really but,
1: lonely. But the other thing is, though, I remember not last January, but two Januaries ago, um, I had a major, major migraine attack, a really bad one that I hadn't had in years. And one of my cousins um, passed away after a heart transplant did not work out. And she was 34 and brilliant and beautiful and talented. And I was at a job that um, I was working really hard at, but wasn't making me, wasn't treating me with respect. And I thought I was juggling. I really thought at the time. I was like, I have everything in balance. I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm doing all this stuff. And I realized you pulled out one pin out of that and the entire house of cards fell down. Mm-hmm. That that I, I did not have a buffer. I did not have any flexibility in what I was doing. I hadn't built any in. And it was an illusion that I had. And so I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I really don't know how to do all this. So I started asking for help. And I started asking for help from everybody. My financial planner, I asked for help from. I got a show out of asking my financial planner for some help. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm not amazing. kidding. Yeah. But the thing is, though, accept the meeting, ask for help. So I accepted all of those things. I reached out to everybody and started asking for help. And it was like this tide of yeses came in. And then I had more shows than I knew what to do with. And... You know, I now have to learn a little no, yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. <laughs> I know I have like,
0: to. That's the whole thing. Like, it's this, this, this whole project is um, uh, with with the Republic of Camberville, it, it really didn't hit me until I was in the middle of doing callbacks with these actors that I was like, "Oh, I'm a director. Yes, like I actually have to do this. Like, I've done voiceover. I'm 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 confident in the writing, but like, I actually have to manage." I'm, I'm working with 13 different actors.
1: Is this, is this, you know, sometimes I wonder, it's like, do men feel this way? Like is That's this, a good
0: question. Like, I, I really don't. Because
1: I know some men who are half as accomplished and doing half as much as what you or I am doing. Yeah. And they'll call themselves a director before they even have a project. <laughs>
0: interesting I don't know it's definitely like it kind of hit me and I'm like it just it it still feels uncomfortable just because I've never done it but it's like it the Indian phrase do the needful and it's like okay well this is my project and I am a director yeah um and I got to figure out what that means and how to do it
1: here's the other thing right like women most of the time apply for jobs um once they've already done the job and men apply for the job when they're fifty percent qualified for it, and this citation is—you know—you can source me, but yeah. it's from um, it's from the Lean In book by. Um,
0: oh yeah, Cheryl Sheryl Sandberg. Sandberg. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, and whatever you feel about that book, that information has been supported by all of my anecdotal <laughs> in my life. Yeah, right, and so that's you know what you're describing is like. Hell yeah, you're a director (laughs) and a producer.
0: Yeah. No, I was talking to my husband last night, and he was just like,
1: yeah, you're a director slash
0: producer slash writer slash actor. I'm like, ah! Yeah. Bethany, thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. If you want to learn more about Bethany's upcoming shows, she's got one in the fall.
1: The uh, Brains Are Cool, Even When They Hurt, at the Open Door Gallery, um...
0: And then also a group show.
1: Yep, at the Kingston Gallery. Um, It's called uh, Refiguring the Body. All of the different show dates and um, openings and whatnot will be on my website.
0: It's at BethanyNoelArt.com. So B-E-T-H-A-N-Y-N-O-E-L-A-R-T.com. You can also find links on my website. Um, Yeah.